welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul Frederick. And, you know, obviously now it's the the likelihood that it was a being on the moon or even Mars is probably small. But the idea that we now have a multidimensional model and that's coming more and more into fashion with um, quantum physics and that entire realm, you know, there there is a possibility that indeed what we may understand and, and the technology that he had at the time could be very different from what what's been communicated to us. And he, indeed, he um he talked all the time about there being dimensions that were um, that were mirrors of one another, and yet they were off by just a little bit. Yeah. And his fear, his fear was that there was something like seven dimensions, I think, and the highest was heaven, and that the first two dimensions were kind of like one another. And his fear was that um, if there was a rip between the dimensions, they would end up collapsing on one another. And there's some people, in the Mandela effect community. Regardless of whether you think it's um, something like a like a Tesla model for uh, um, the multidimensional model, or it's something like an infinite number of dimensions, the fear obviously is that whenever we um, fired up those protons and started to smash them, we inadvertently um, kind of messed up the uh, the stability of one or or all the dimensions. And then, and then from there on, you can go on to an infinite number of theories on, you know, why the Mandela effect is what it is. When you can go and think that a dimension collapsed on another dimension, or that we're still feeling the reverberations of another dimension being destroyed right next to us, right next door. Um, there's some MEs that claim that um, they remember there being a nuclear war. And that the um, sometimes you'll hear booms, and it was reported particularly around 2000, I want to say 13, 14, that there were booms being heard all over the world. And um, one strain of conspiracy theory was that it's uh, there were dumbs happening, which is deep underground military bases, and that they were blowing up under the earth more military bases and, and catacombs they were creating other, under the planet. If there were anything like a um, an attack of some sort, and that we have a second kind of civilization, where you have truckers claiming they went into a tunnel in New Jersey and then it came out near the Denver airport. So, but that's the that's the more moderate theory. And then I've heard from other MEs, they claim that it's the next dimension over. They're at war and they're in a nuclear war, and we're and it's so powerful. The uh, nuclear dis- explosions, as they destroy um, their existence, we're hearing those booms, Whoa. and that, yeah, and that that version of reality has ultimately why it's quiet. It's become so quiet is that it finally did destroy itself in a nuclear holocaust. Wow! Right. So there, there's there's a myriad of theories out there. Um, each one more exotic than the next. Um, I try to, um, you know, I try to think that 
in my personal theory on the Mandela effect is that it's a um, a naturally occurring event, mm-hmm. and that it's always happened, and that it's always going to continue to happen. And um, the kind of thing that I say about the Mandela effect is that it's not that it's a big deal that the past is changing or that your geography is changing or anything like that. All it is is we're we're because of the technology we have, we're able to understand reality in a more sophisticated way. And that reality itself, as we know, it's mostly vibration, mostly frequency. We now know because of the double slit experiment that indeed it can change its behavior based on whether or not it's being observed. And these are scientific you know, discoveries that are not, not that old. So they're still trying to understand what all of that means. So what what the double slit experiment truly means to all of us is that that existence and reality is malleable it's conscious meaning it's it's a conscious living thing and it seems to be very shy and very aware well, you know the double slit experiment showed that it sort of puts its best foot forward whenever it knows it's being watched and um you know if something in the past changes, such as like the example of the Ed McMahon that he never worked for Publishers Clearinghouse, despite the fact if you're of a certain age, everyone remembers him rushing to the door with the big stupid check and the and the balloons. You know that that's something like that, which is you know retro causality. Um, something like that is not is not that unexpected if you consider that reality has always behaved this way. And the only reason why we're able to talk about it now is because we have the internet and disparate people that normally, even if they were next to one another, based off of demographics, whether it be age or background or anything else, social and otherwise, we wouldn't speak to one another. But now because of a a bit of anonymity that is dropping within the internet, but we still have some of it now, we're able to you know, truly and freely express ourselves in ways that we could never do it before when you were face-to-face and you were face-to-face with real ramifications of what you said immediately. And for a limited time now that I think that window is closing, but, and there's been a lot of negativity towards that, but some of the good that comes from that is people like myself and other MEs were able to talk freely about, we think things about our past, things about our present, Things about our geography are changing, and it's not in the way that we were taught or the way that we think they're changing. And this new technology that really didn't exist in, in this format 20 years ago, we never would have been able to coalesce like we can now, you know, and get a little coalition of people going. Certainly not get together from all four corners of the lower 48 and get together in a, in a D.C. suburb in a hotel and start talking amongst ourselves. You know, we had our first Mandela Effect, con- uh, um, I want to say convention, but it really wasn't. It was a conference this year in Manassas, Virginia. And I can say every different type of person you could imagine was there. And there was no way without the Internet and all of us meeting that we could share our examples. Wow. And what also gives it power to is that so many people do remember things that are you know, objective things that are outside, like the like, like a movie line changing. You know, mirror, mirror on the wall to magic mirror, the Ed McMahon thing, Sally Fields giving her famous 1980s Oscar speech. You know, all kinds of th- you know the the first terrorist attack you know uh, happening in Jersey City from the Germans in World War One, 
where the explosion was so great, it damaged the Statue of Liberty to the point where no one has been up to the Statue of Liberty's arm since, I uh, believe, before World War One. It's called the Black Tom attack. And, you know, we have... We have all these anomalies now that that and, and people swear they remember going up the Statue of Liberty's arm back in the seventies or the eighties. And now that's they're they're saying part of the history from the terrorist attack and from the Germans. Um, and the explosion was so bad in Jersey City that it actually it, it actually almost destroyed the Statue of Liberty. And despite multiple repairs, the arm itself is still is still too fragile for people to walk up and tour the arm and look out and look out of the arm. Wow, that is bizarre. So, um, are you familiar with the Heisenberg uncertainty principle? Yes. All right. So we got to talk about. So hey, we're we're recording by the way now. Okay, that's fine. Is that cool? I figured we were jumping into that. That's fine. <laughs> Well, I was just I was checking the the sound settings and everything, and then we started talking, and and you were getting into some great stuff, and I didn't want to in, in, intrude on that. So, and I thought about the Heisenberg uncertainty principle when you talked about um, perspective and how how because of the internet and technology, our perceptions are changing and our ability to perceive things is changing, and so that perhaps is changing the result of things because that's kind of like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle that. The, percept, the perceiver has an effect on what is perceived. You cannot help but change the result just by being present for whatever is happening. Um, but before we get into that, so I want to introduce you to everyone and, and tell everyone welcome to another episode of Daemonosophy 2.0. And today I am talking with SMQ, who has uh, his own uh, show on YouTube. He has a YouTube channel, SMQ AI, where he explores all sorts of really intense things surrounding something called the Mandela effect. And and uh, let's see, well, you and I, while we started talking like, I don't know, three, four months ago, something like that? Yep. Yeah. And, um, and uh, initially, initially, I thought it was the Mandela Mandala. Like a mandala, yeah. you know, like a, uh -huh. like Indian stuff, <laughs> like a South okay, American, yeah. like a Mesoamerican mandala, and I was like, huh, I I don't get, but I was watching it and, and and listening along, and then eventually we were having a conversation, and then I realized, oh, it's Mandela, like Nelson Mandela, and then and then everything clicked. So if why don't you explain to us what the Mandela effect is to you? Sure. Uh there's a sort of popular um, perception of what the Mandela effect is, and then there's people who acknowledge the Mandela effect as a fact, and then there's that perception too. The popular perception is that there's kind of a – it's a pop culture fad where things in movies that you remembered have been changed, and it's very strange. And some uh, more popular YouTubers, they, uh, they used it for sort of clickbait for a few months uh, about a year ago or so. And um, ultimately, it was things like um, uh, life was like a box of chocolates to – or it, originally, the line was life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Um, and then the, the line obviously changed to life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And the thing about that line was um, what shook everybody up is that 
the actual bench from Forrest Gump, the movie, is um, it's it's at Viacom, the headquarters of Viacom, because I don't know if they still own the property to the movie, but they own the rights at some point. And the bench itself um, has been reported to be in the lobby of Viacom. And the bench itself, according to a Viacom employee, actually has on the bench um, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Well, whenever Forrest Gump says it in the movie, when he's sitting to the young lady that that appears to be a um, a nurse, and he offers her the box of chocolates, the line is allegedly changed to "Life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get." And um, and then there's the other big one, the, the the more political one, where people remember Nelson Mandela. And this is the one that was started by Fiona Broom. Um, where half of she did an experiment where half of her audience actually remembered Nelson Mandela, the South African um, um, political freedom fighter fighting against apartheid in South Africa. They remember him dying in jail in the 1980s. And then after that ensued, um, it was just a, a bloody rebellion um, against the uh, against the white minority rulers of South Africa from the black majority. And that's how South Africa became a um, the democracy that it is now. Now, on another timeline, the timeline I remember, Nelson Mandela survived this, and he ended up getting out, and ended up becoming the first democr- democratically elected president of South Africa, get, you know, garner garnering a majority of the vote. Mm-hmm. So, that's the timeline I remember. However, I've interviewed people, and under no uncertain terms, they remember um, him dying in prison, and they remember under no certain terms that it was a violent and bloody rebellion inside South Africa. And there was nightly news reports of of the of the just the the war. Essentially, it was a war that was happening in a civil war happening inside of South Africa, um, and. From there, it, it start, people started to pick up on more things that were changing. So, uh, the other one is um, uh, uh, Publishers Clearinghouse. Publishers Clearinghouse, it had Eddie McMahon. If you're of a certain age, I would say probably a Gen Xer to older. You probably remember when you were a kid, Ed McMahon would show up at your door with a big check with a million dollars and some balloons, and people would jump up and down very happy, and you were awarded the Publishers Clearinghouse um, um check and it would be like a million dollars or something like that right well right. that that never happened because now we're in a different timeline where he worked for something like uh, American American clearinghouse or, or American publishers or something like that and he never did any of those things American never, family publishers American family publishers I yes and he never did any of those things so all of those memories that you had you according to you know, uh, a popular scientific culture you made up or we're all misremembering as a group in some sort of mass kind of delusion together that we all share. And we did it simultaneously and we did it without knowing one another. So, you know, you, I was reading in your book and it talked about Occam's razor. What, you know, this one's a tough one because are we talking alternative versions of reality or do we have simultaneous uh, a simultaneous delusion 
over trivial pop culture references all at one time because both seem pretty ridiculous to me. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. So when we were, I started looking at some of these examples, and you mentioned, you know, Forrest Gump and uh, the Star Wars ones. Those those appeal to me because I'm a big Star Wars fan. Um, you know, I I you know, like as we discussed, I'm a Generation Xer. I saw Star Wars in the theater when I was like you know seven, eight years old when it first came out. So I was part of the target generation for that. And so there's one of the uh, Mandela effect things is C-3PO's leg. Was it silver? Right. And, you know, I, there's something weird about that because I remember, I remember the first time I learned that it was silver. And it was after I'd – I can't remember when, but it wasn't when I first saw the movie. It was like sometime after that I, some, I came into this awareness that he had a silver leg. So I'm not sure what happened there. And then the one about Darth Vader to Luke, they say, like people remember, he says, Luke, I am your father. But in reality, he just says, no, I'm your father. Right. So those things, you know, I see things like that and I'm like, well, I mean, first of all, George Lucas is notorious for editing things. So it's like anything that has to do with like product lines or, or, or things on TV, there's always this possibility it's been edited. Sure. But then... Then you told me about the Ed McMahon thing, and I started looking into that. And I was like, "No, I remember, I remember the publisher's clearinghouse thing. I remember that so fucking clearly." And yeah. So I went back and I started, I started looking for this. I started looking this stuff up online, and and you're right. There's all this information about it never happened. No, it's American Family Publishers. It was right. Ed McMahon was always American Family Publishers, never anything else. There's all this stuff, and then. Eventually, I found a video of Johnny Carson coming on the um, 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 oh, what's his name? The other the other talk show host, uh, David Letterman. David Letterman, thank you. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Carson's coming on David Letterman, and he comes on carrying a big check for publishers, and it says Publishers Clearinghouse, and right. he's talking about Ed McMahon. So, wait, here's your proof. No, it was Ed McMahon. But what is that? Is, so, is it a different timeline or is it some kind of cover-up? Why would so anyone would you, want to cover that up? You know? Right. What, what, you, what you experienced was your first bout of – we call it residual. And um, what happens is um, there's always a minority trail left behind of residual. And that residual will be able to refute – everything about what is being sold to us. So if you're in the camp that it was of a different timeline and that a timeline had shifted or we had shifted from one timeline to another timeline because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of quantum physicians out there who are like, no, we have multiple timelines and you can switch from timeline to timeline. What you're finding is that when that happens, it, there's not a clean sort of failover. In computer science, we have um, we have reboots and, and we have failovers and we have um, all kinds of different scenarios whenever a drive goes down and then another drive can come alive. And oftentimes when that happens, you have glitches mm -hmm. for whenever a system – it's called DR. It's disaster 
faster recovery. And essentially, that's what you're experiencing is sort of a glitch in permissions, sort of a glitch in and sort of how things were 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 working. And and it's about you can get there about 99.5% there, but every now and then you'll have that residual left over from the old system that didn't come over properly. So I thought it was kind of cool that you were able to find your own and experience your own residual for the first time. And really what that's proof of for you is, one, you aren't crazy, that what you did remember actually did happen, and two, you are no longer on that timeline where the the majority of the proof that that actually happened, you are no longer in that place. You, You aren't there anymore. That place is gone, and you are now here with the rest of us that remember that. Wow. And not all of us, and not all of us go at one time. There's different. There's some of us who have come over from completely different timelines with fantastical stories about um, wars that happened and just these wild stories. Uh, you know, I come over from a much more mundane one that's just like this, and it's just bizarre things like that. Um, but there are some people who come over where World War Three had started, or they have family members wholesale family members missing out of their lives. They were once married and now they're single. They had three children, now they only have two children. And some of them end up getting quite sick and they end up um, hospitalized because they, no one will believe them that they had that child. Or, or even worse, their spouse is a completely different person and they feel like they're going to bed with a stranger every night. Well, so is there a better timeline? Are, are some timelines more real than others? Are we getting – are people who are jumping timelines, are they moving towards the more real one? Or are they moving away from – or is there? Or are they all just the same? Well, just- and that's, that's the um, – that's sort of – we don't really know. All we know are the things that we can all talk amongst ourselves and we can agree with uh, one another. That's why uh, my co-host Chick and I – we do the lost and found bin because we're trying to um, at least record as far as it can be because recordings can change you know, from what you remember and what you recorded. Even that is malleable. And what we're starting to realize is that the past is actually never settled and that it's moving and it's as active as the present and it's inactive um, as the future and that the present affects the past just like the past affects the present, and that's called retrocausality, and that's also a um, a phenomenon that's been observed by people before, and this and this kind of drips into the Heisenberg uncertainty principle as well as the double slit experiment, and um, so all of these things, you know, they still have you know um, knights raging with their swords, and you know on 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 you know bloody and and muddy fields in 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 Europe and across the world. That's still happening. Um, we're all around us and we're just, it's just on a different timeline and it's all happening simultaneously around us is what I'm thinking. Um, but as far as it goes, what we can tell some of the consistent, uh, consistencies that we can tell from the, the behavior of the Mandela effect is that it seems to be a process of degrading, um, whatever the subject is. Um, it seems to degrade it from the original. It seems to be a cheap imposter of the original, such as if it's a movie line, it's one that just doesn't fit as well as it did before, you know, or some of the biblical ones that the, but it's a full on attack on the Bible. Um, there's Christians out there. They are, they are just beside themselves and they're, they're saying that the word of God is being, they think that we've begun one of the phases of the tribulation because, um, 
according to according to what they say, and I hope I say this right, there is a um, a period within their form of of dispensation where um, God removes the word from um, this realm, and as He removes the word from this realm. That the doors is closing for those that can remember the original word, and those doors have now closed. So now the word is able to be corrupted because it was the word that you were worshiping, not the Bible itself. Mm-hmm. And now that 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 time is passed and that time is gone, um, um, slowly there'll be a, a a moving back of of the Christian God. And and tribulation will move on to the next phase is what some Christians think. Other Christians think that there are time travelers, and um, what they're doing is they're going back and they're manipulating the Bible itself at the time that it was translated from the original Greek, and that um, and one of the biggest examples that they give is the the lion shall dwell with the lamb. That's gone now out of the King James version because that seems to be the staple that um, evangelicals seem to be most. Um, they seem to be most um, in agreement with. With so for them to have uh, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb rather than the lion. To them, that's also an indication of this removing of the word. So this also is is it's very much a um, it's very much a religious experience. It's a spiritual experience. Um, it's very disorienting. I saw one video of this this poor preacher he just broke down crying because of of uh, a chapter in matthew that had changed that he had remembered since he was a child and it had changed and he felt like he had a piece of him was dead now um so some some of this is starting to sound kind of uh neoplatonic are you familiar with uh plato and the and the cave allegory no but uh, enlighten me please so plato um uh, his, you know, he said a lot of things, Greek philosopher, student of Socrates and teacher of Aristotle. And one of the things that he's famous for is the cave allegory and the creation of the idea of the forms. Mm. And so in, in a nutshell, the idea is that true reality is, you know, it's, it's, it's something way above us. We're not in the, the world where we can see. We're in an imperfect version of the world. We're in kind of a corruption of, of, of true reality. And true reality is what he called uh, the forms or the principles, right? So it's the same thing. You have the idea of a, of a principle, um, that that's basically it. And he said, so this is kind of up in this, this uh, uh, transcendent sort of realm. That's where reality is. And there's basically uh, three levels of, of, of consciousness that, that human beings deal with. There's like, um, it's like a, uh, there's like a basic um, you know, uh, ordinary state, and then there's a state of uh, dianoia, which is like uh, corresponds with dialogue, which is a more intellectual state, and then there's a higher state of noesis, and noesis is what we associate with, you know, uh, transcendence. Uh, this is probably what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, right? He's talking about a state of consciousness where you can mm. perceive the truth, you know, the true divine forms. So the idea of like this is the divine realm. And so, um, and so there's, you know, there's like a universal principle of, you know, say the color red. And one of the examples they use is, you know, you see red all around, you know, if you look at, you know, your red pen sitting on your desk or something like that. And that's the color red. That is an instance of the color red, though. There's a principle of red. 
And if you close your eyes, then you can, um, you can envision that in your mind. And when you're envisioning red in your mind, rather than seeing it directly, partaking of the instance of it in the universe, you uh, reflect on it in your mind, then you're actually kind of connecting with the form or the principle of red. So there's this idea that there's this, this pure form of existence, and then as we exist here in the ordinary world, the principles are broke down into particularities, and so what we're seeing is really actually sort of a, a corruption of reality, which in itself is a very, I mean, that's, a, that's really an out there, um, by out there I mean common um, idea in, in a lot of religions. I mean, certainly this is the idea in like Eastern religions, Buddhism, they talk about you know, the world of illusion, samsara, and uh, Zoroastrianism, you know, had an idea of, uh, of um, you know, the lie or the druge, there's like the falsity in the world that you have to struggle to kind of see through. So, um, so I heard some of that in, 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 in what you're talking about, that um, part of what could be happening from a Platonic perspective is people are seeing through the corruptions of what's going on and they're seeing into the realm of the forms. And in the realm of the forms, um, it's, it's easy to then speculate as far as like how um, time occurs to us that time would kind of like fall apart the more one like proceeds into that realm. Time sort of falls away because time is really just a convention that, you know, you and I have to use that here. You and I have to decide, you know, uh, we have to agree on the same clock, you know, to be able to meet and, you know, have this conversation, say, for instance. So it's like we need time. Uh, to like grapple on to this world that we're in and to get along, or at least we think, we think we do. But as we reach forward into these more transcendent realms, the experience of time tends to fall away. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, and, and some of those things, um, some of those things in, 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 um, I'm familiar with, and that, that makes a lot of sense with um, kind of, particularly with the reactions that some people the way in which they handle, um, you know, sort of this veil being lifted or, or drawn back and sort of, sort of peeking behind the curtains, um, as it were. And, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it, and it, uh, it, it just depends on who you are and what your background is and, and how much the Mandela effect has affected your life. And, um, I think that, um, because it's an ongoing process, it appears, um, there's a couple. There's a couple things about it. Um, it's it's what you're talking about, sort of a um, a stripping away of, of 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 sort of the 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 skin, so you can get right down into the bone of what it's all about, or sort of moving all the curtains back, so you can see the real sun or whatever it is. But there's also this process of it coming in shifts and in waves. And as each shift happens and each wa uh, wave happens, there seems to be a bit of a falling apart, like you're talking about. And it and these waves seem to be coming um, more and more intense the longer that you you've already noticed this, and then um, there seems to be waves and waves of people that are that are beginning to wake up is one of the expressions um, that's pretty common in the ME community. Sure, and you can. You can see it on you can see it on YouTube when there's a new. Well, they're able to tell new shifts now by using the Schumann resonance. It's one of the many indicators they're they're starting to use to know when a shift is coming, and when we can expect to see new Mandela effect shifts. Um, it'll there'll be a spike in the Schumann resonance, and once that happens, sure enough, you can bet 
you can bet there's going to be new YouTubers out there who are, you know, kind of babes in the woods. They they just noticed that something's a little askew with their existence. And um, you got to let them walk through sort of these phases um, on their own before you can kind of reveal yourself to them because it's a process that you can't proselytize and it's a process that you can't make someone understand. It's a process that it has to reveal itself to you and then you sort of um, uh, you sort of have to fall down the rabbit hole yourself and you've got to be able to handle it yourself in order to get to someone like me where we're actually trying to apply different um, uh, measurements and different ways of trying to understand it. And we're trying to, um, you know, put theories around what it is. I mean, our, you know, the core thing we understand and that we're, we're all agreeing on with the group that I run with is that we don't know what's causing it. And all of us have different points of view um, about it. Um, I don't think it's a biblical undertaking, but my co-host and a large swath of the ME community are Christian, and they they think this is a biblical undertaking. I think it's natural, and it's always occurred. However, what we can all agree on is that it's something that can that seems to be loosely correlated with things that can be measured in the environment, and then as well, it's um, something that can be loosely associated with um, the body, and um, it, particularly whenever we have a wave, they seem to have themes. Like sometimes waves will happen and we'll have geo shifts on the planet. And then we'll have another wave that happens and you'll have geo shifts in your body. Um, and one of the more popular ones, if you don't keep up with the week by week kind of Mandela effect kind of community, is um, the heart. It used to be on the left hand side and now it's sort of in the middle. And um, that sort of it actually is in the middle of your chest now. Um, that's no one of the more, Yeah, that's one of the more popular ones. Um, also, too, we have new new organs, and they're particularly organs within the gut. Um, we have uh, drill holes in our skull now that weren't there before, and we've had um, doctors that prefer to stay anonymous, actual MDs, um, who have who've talked to different people that I'm associated with, and I, I've only actually talked to a therapist who who has difficulty. It has yet to have an ME come in and, and talk with this person, but this person is going to have a difficult time trying to grapple with this because this is a therapist who believes in the Mandela effect, and yet all of the training that this person has needs to point to guiding this their patient away from it. But how do you do that whenever you yourself believe that this is a thing? So there's a lot of you know, a lot of friction and a lot of frustration with it, with a lot of the um, medical communities out there. But a, there are quite a few doctors they, that themselves, they say quite openly, as long as they stay masked, that yes, there are changes that are happening to the human body. Um, and that it's real. Um, and they don't understand what's happening. And, um, you know, for me, the big one was the drill holes in the skull, the heart, um, there are other, there's other claims about the spine. I, I don't, I wasn't, I'm not really as big on, on ana the anatomy changes cause I just didn't pay that much attention, but there's a whole subset of, of MEs that are out there and they pay attention to the changing of the, um, anatomy. But one of the really interesting things that the Mandela effect does provide cover for, it begins to give you an explanation for a lot of paranormal things. Mm -hmm. A lot of things where ships go missing. There could have been a Mandela shift 
where that shift didn't, you know, the ship didn't exist and it's gone. Planes going missing, people going missing by the thousands. It could explain um, immediate and violent changes in our evolutionary, you know, upsurge. You know, I know that there's a fringe theory out there that one day we just started speaking as 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 a species and that it happened violently and overnight. Well, certainly that could fall into the category of a Mandela effect shift. And if you just strip away all the hysteria from it, I mean, I don't other than our observation, I don't understand why it couldn't be a rule to incorporate in some white paper somewhere that indeed, you know, reality is a bit malleable. They've already come to pretty much accept that at the quantum level, you know, why not extrapolate that and start to explore and educate at, at higher levels beyond the quantum level, you know? Well, because there's, really- there's, there's too many people that want to control. That's why there's too many interests. There's too many power interests in the world that want to have control over things. So to be able to, True. for them to have control over it, they need to be able to say, hey, this is reality and it doesn't change and we have control over it, or else we're the yeah. ones who are going to protect you from from chaos, you know, from from the uncertainty yeah. that's in the universe. Because I, I agree with you. I think it's uh, absolutely the universe is is completely vast and unknowable, and we know very little in in reality. We know very little about what uh, the objective universe is. And you know, we talked about this before. This is something that comes up with the. Uh, study and discussions that there's a objective universe which is the uh, mathematically verifiable you know so-called real world the real the world that you know you and I can you know to, to some extent agree exists out there and then we also have a subjective universe which is the universe that we uh, privately live in um, and one thing one thing that I agree with you on is the idea that uh, a phenomenon like this, I would t- tend to consider it something that has always existed. And, and part of the reason for that is, um, I, I think, has to do with whether you have a linear perspective of time or else a uh, circular, um, timeless, circular slash timeless uh, perspective on time. And, 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 and generally, you know, like the, mo- the model of traditional uh, Christianity holds it uh, a linear, a linear time uh, model that the universe came into being at, at one point out of nothing. And then it's going to go for a while and then it's going to end and it's going to go to something else. And it's all planned out. And, and so if that is the case, then, yeah, people should be able to. You know, it's it's possible people could be coming back in time and, and doing all these things, and 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 also there's an idea that it's making things worse. But I think if you understand phenomenon like this as being um, a naturally occurring aspect of reality that's always been there, and maybe now more people are becoming more aware of it, then it doesn't necessarily need to be a enemy or a foreboding or um, a, a deleterious influence. This could be a, a new aspect of reality that we're starting to understand that it, by, by becoming more aware of it, we can somehow use it to our advantage. We can somehow uh, benefit from it and, 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 and utilize it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's actually what you're talking about is twofold there, why it makes sense that they would want to keep this kind of control because um, – uh, a chick and myself, which is my co-host, 
um, we we did this inadvertent exercise, and because um, we've been into the Mandela effect now. I mean, I noticed it um, late 2016. So um, the first wave of MEs that were self conscious of it was around 2015. So I was around that second wave, and. Um, what we did one day was we were making jokes about it trolling us and that it's, we were fairly certain it's um, conscious and perhaps, you know, a conscious entity. Uh-huh. We said, well, well, we wonder if maybe it could communicate with us and let's see what we could do. And we started to joke around about water parks on, on the moon. And um, we also started to talk about um, something ridiculous. Well, if there's going to be water parks on the moon, before you know it, there will be tourists on the moon and you'll, you're going to – you're going to need things to keep people's attention. And somehow it drifted over to like maybe a museum on the moon. Now, mind you, before I tell you this, I'm not saying that we caused this. What I'm saying is that we created um, the situation for it to come into our worlds, into our purview, which if you think about the double slit experiment or even the uncertainty principle, in a way, we changed our, in, in, in kind of what you're talking about, our subjective universes. And... What was so interesting was we talked about all these things, and then within a couple weeks, uh, we had heard this thing that there was a museum on the moon, and that one of the um, one of the one of the artists that are on this museum on the moon was Andy Warhol. So Andy Warhol is now on the moon, and the story behind it is apparently during one of the Apollo missions that um, they somebody I forget who it was went around to all of the really famous artists of the time contemporary artists and had them do a little drawing on this tablet. And, um, so they all did their little doodles and somehow they quote smuggled it on the Apollo, which my understanding is there's no smuggling anything on one of the Apollo missions. They, they, for every nut and bolt they had, you know, they had a catalog. So there was no, there was no smuggling. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know why they even bothered with that, but, um, they got the this tablet on there with the drawings of each one of these artists, and one of them was Amy Warhol. And during the Apollo mission to the moon, they actually planted the the tablet there, um, and now they they call it the Museum on the Moon. Now, something so bizarre and so weird like this, you would think there'd be libraries written about this. There'd be a Hollywood movie about it. There'd be you know something with Tom Hanks in it. Speaking of which, and there's nothing about it. And and if you go and look, it's like half of a wiki page, and it's one of the weirdest like instances of our space journey to ever come out. And then right after that had happened, they suddenly discovered the possibility, and now I think it's the probability of there being lunar water. Now there's going to be water on the moon, and Andy Warhol is on the moon. <laughs> you know, nothing about our journey into space makes any kind of sense, you know. It's like when I was a kid, you know, we sat around and they said, yeah, there was a, we sent a man to the moon, and, you know, we just believed everything. And then, and then you know, we had the, the uh, Challenger blow up which I guess the space shuttle Challenger blow up, which I guess that's another Mandela effect thing about what year that actually happened. And you know what's weird? When I saw that one, they say the year's 1986, but I feel it was earlier than that. I really feel, I felt just immediately when I thought space shuttle Challenger, I imagine myself being in like 1982 or 1983 when I heard that. But Yeah, me too. 83, I remember. Yeah. Um, But... You know, it's like nothing makes any kind of sense. Everything's in doubt. I heard somewhere that they they discovered um, 
uh, evidence of life on Mars now. Um, and, yeah. and there's just, there's, but there's like, this is not, but it's not a big deal. Nobody cares. You know, it's not like, that's like not the top headline. The top line, top headlines are always just like ridiculous things. So it's just, nothing makes any kind of sense about the space program. And, you know, it seemed to me for a while, um, Elon Musk and, and SpaceX were going to be very triumphant and succeed you know, as a, uh-huh. um, you know, a free private endeavor where uh, uh, governments were unable to be successful with it. But now he's basically been absorbed by the machine. So it's just all part of the same uh, big, you know, farcical sort of thing that just really no one knows what to believe anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's dissolving consensus is one of the uh, one of the phrases that we, we banner about in the Mandela Effect community is that what people who aren't MEs and you're not part of the Mandela Effect is that you are Mandela Affected, you just haven't accepted it yet. Mm-hmm. And all of the bizarreness, whether it was the election and people feeling like they're in a different um, and I don't care where you fall in the political spectrum, and I didn't want to make. I don't not. I'm, I refuse to make things political. My point about that was a lot of people felt as if they were in an alternative universe. And the the, the point I'm trying to make about things like this, and and your your suggestions of nothing's making sense, is that yes, that's part of the Mandela effect. Is that that falling away of 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 time and things breaking apart. You know, that sort of ripple or echo into nothingness. And as it does that, the world itself becomes more and more unstable. And as existence becomes more and more unstable, all of those things around you that you took for granted, they suddenly become into question, whether it be the Holy Bible or the way in which your skull is shaped or whether or not it was 1983 or 86. And eventually there could be a point to where it could be both. And eventually your mind will have to accept that it happened twice and that there are two or three different versions of reality. And the worst part is they'll probably have a white paper out there saying that we knew this all along. We just didn't want to introduce this to you because we knew you couldn't accept it. And that's what we joke about on the um, the lost and found bin is that there's probably white papers written already all about all this. They're just they're not ready to release it. So another thing that you said that I think um, a lot of my listeners will be able to um, relate to is the idea that you look out there as conceiving of the Mandela effect as a living entity that's watching you. And this reminds yeah. me of uh, um, you know Dr. Aquino um, recently you know did this revision of the Satanic Bible. But one of the things that he said in there was that. Um, in the old days of the Church of Satan, um, we looked out into the darkness, and then all of a sudden we realized that there's something looking back. And 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 and, and not to take everything, not to take everything that that you're talking about and and and, and pull it into the age of Satan. Um, that's not my intent. But to say that this experience of um, uh, that that there's something uniquely human about that experience of looking into the vast unknown universe, especially after you admit to yourself to some extent that you don't really know what's going on with it. And then as you start to make, um, take actions towards um, interacting with it at another level, then there's a sense of, 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 of consciousness like extending that, that by coming at you. Instead of your consciousness moving forward onto the universe, there's this, this sense of consciousness in a 
in a principal kind of way, moving back towards you in your direction. And it's different then because we have that all the time, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm consciousness and I'm moving towards you right now and your consciousness and you're moving towards me right now. And everyone who hears this, their consciousness is moving towards us or where we were in time at the time that this was recorded. So this is happening all the time with, with human beings everywhere. But mm-hmm. then there's this experience that humans can have where there's like consciousness that's not associated with another person that seems to be coming back at them for some reason. Yeah, and and I think one of the most important things um, about coming to that level of the Mandela effect and realizing that it's watching you, you, you I, at least with me, I ended up having to um, come to a moment of respect um, because indeed I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take it seriously and I didn't respect it. Um, and, um, and I, I kind of was put in check, I guess, because, um, what happened was when I was 17, I had a really bad car accident and, um, it, it, to this day, it, I'm still not right because of it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay. I can move around and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fine. It's just, you know, it's still just one of those things that haunt me to, to this day. And uh, we were doing an episode of The Lost and Found Ben, and we were joking about it, saying that, you know, we called it the satanic Seinfeld, where it's like, you know, it's like a Seinfeld episode because it's it's all of these ridiculous things. And and but it's like it has just a twist of 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 just off center to it. You know, and it was meant almost like an insult that it was just off center, but yet it was all of these really goofy, sort of frivolous things. You know, we're talking about movie lines for God's sakes, right? Mm-hmm. And and we we were making light of it and we were laughing at it. And um, and then I remember that that happened that Saturday, that Monday morning, I was driving into work, and probably about um, I would say maybe within three minutes of me arriving. There was a fresh car accident and and the manner in which the car accident happened and the way in which this lady was running around and then there was someone else in the car not moving, it really shook me up. And um, I don't know why, but I just knew that um, I had done something wrong and and I was afraid and I didn't, you know, when you go with a um, a religious system, regardless of the one, you have a, a system to make amends. For something like this, there's no way to make amends yet. And it was something that I knew. I just I just knew it. And and it would the message was loud and clear. And I don't make jokes anymore. Um, and that I, I it's just hard to explain. And I, I even saying it, I know it sounds ridiculous, and people are going to think it's really stupid, but. It's you've you've got to get to a point in this thing where you've seen so much change in reality that you realize you are dealing with something that is um, that is very big and very real, and um, it's it's just not something to be toyed with, and it's not something to to make a joke out of. At least I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, for anyone else, you know, Godspeed on them. But I, I, my my days of making jokes about it are over. <laughs> so another thing, um, but but that's what's funny about it is like you mentioned it's like the the Seinfeld aspect of it, and um, I think Robert Anton Wilson said this in reference to um, 
the Mothman, Mothman prophecies, I think, in uh, um, um, one of his books, where um, he talked about the prophecies that they get and the things that happen. There's, they're always like it's. There's always something kind of like trivial and and not really amazing about all of the 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 truths that they're getting from supposedly external or like psychic uh, sources mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And why is that? It's like is that because the universe, you know, has a sense of humor? Does the cosmos have a sense of humor about it? I mean, what is the reason for that? And the other thing that seems to happen is that when you start looking, when you cue into these experiences or, um, or synchronicities, coincidences, I mean, is a big thing. You start looking at synchronicities and you start looking out for synchronicities. Suddenly you start to see more of them and you see more yeah. and more. And if you start talking to other people who are also watching out for them, then it, that, that, that increases it even more. It accelerates this whole experience. Yes. Um, and, and then he talked about, like Robert Anton Wilson talked about, well, you get to a certain point where uh, you reach like a critical mass with it, where there's just so much, there's so much shit going on that it just becomes absurd. And so you can't yeah. even like, you, you don't even have time to write it all down and, and write, it, you know, write a blog about what does this mean? You, know? you don't have time for that anymore. So at that point, you just kind of like throw your hands up in the air and, 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 and give a chuckle and, and, and just move forward, you know, go on to the next yeah. thing. Yeah. And um, what's uh, I, I got to get back to that point of control you're talking about, too. And I, I'm reading in your book, you talk about this thing called the magical link. And I'm struck by that because there were videos that I was watching before that started to talk about that and um, and using will and using focus and focusing energy and calling it uh, the universal mercury. And I was I'd watched that video and then I had read your your book. I'm reading your book right now about the magical link and it talks about all of these and it's just different names for it sounds like the same thing of, of linking you know, all of us and everything together and, um, you know, being conscious of that and then knowing that if the Mandela effect is part of this and it is indeed conscious and it's part of that link, everything you do and think will, will, will have that reaction from the Mandela effect. Because we're calling it the Mandela effect, but it could actually have a name and it could refer to itself and be conscious and it could have the ability to change um no it started raining here is that it is is it too noisy because there's lightning no i just heard a little bit of thunder but that's yeah cool. it adds to the effect i like it right I, yeah this is totally natural i'm i'm not adding these effects but um yeah and, and and if that's the case then then that that element of power can be taken because we're just a you know a group a relatively small live group um uh, with the lost and found bin, and we started to concentrate on doing something with the moon, and suddenly there were these changes happening with the moon. Now, I'm will- perfectly willing to say that those things were always there, that Andy Warhol had always been on the moon, but you know, we were made aware of that after that happened by happenstance. We were made aware, and the world was made aware that there was water on the moon after we talked about water parks on the moon. And is there a possibility by some of the ways th- that you were talking about kind of taking an energy and directing that energy? And from some of the other videos I talked about with the universal mercury, you know, taking that energy 
and through, you know, ways that aren't fully understood by me, can you bring those things into, you know, not just your subjective uh, universe, but the objective universe as, as well, especially with a group of people and a disparate group of people that are very sincere in heart. So these are very strange things we're dealing with. Oh, and yeah. Very, and you know? and the, um, the magical link, and, 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 and just to be clear, I didn't, I didn't come up with that idea. That's an idea that's out there. It's been around for a long time. Um, and and mm-hmm. lots of you know, uh, you know, Setians and black magicians you know, refer to this idea. And what it comes down to in a real simple sense is you know, we're talking about a subjective universe and an objective universe, your personal world and then the real world that's out there. There's some kind of con- there's something that connects them, right? And and what is that? Why is that? And it's a big. There's something. There's some. There's got to be some point. Some point of connection, right? Because, I mean, if if I cut off, if you you know, if you lost your arms, and you lost all your senses, and you had no like way to sense the universe, but you're still kept alive. Well, you still have a consciousness, but your ability to interact with the universe is greatly inhibited. Maybe completely. Um, you know, completely um, nullified. So there's there's different ways in which we interact and change the universe, and there's different ways in which the universe interacts with us and changes us, whether consciously or or unconsciously. And so it's a huge question. I mean, they talk about this in in if you in philosophy too, in academic philosophy of of metaphysics is like what is the relationship of mind and body? We know there's two things, and is 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 mind is it actually, is it separate from body? You know, is there a spirit realm that's somehow separate from the material realm or is everything ultimately material and quantifiable? And, and, and what is the relationship between these things? And it's, it's a question that's never been answered. It's still not fully answered by, you know, um, you know, by science or philosophy. Um, it's, it's still something that's debated. Yet we all know there is some kind of, some kind of connection there. But one thing that we know is that people who decide that they have power over the link, that they can they can affect that link, right? That they're not just a slave to the to the input that's coming through it. People that can 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 affect it are like tend to be happier, more comfortable with life, more comfortable with the universe, comfortable with themselves, successful in life, things like that. Whereas like people who who tend to um, go the other route and feel that. You know, they're being affected through the link, that they're like, you know, a subject of, of things tend to be not, not as happy and not as, as, as um, you know, have as happy an outlook about the future. Yeah. Yeah, I know for, for, for me personally, I know that I'm glad that I, I had the power of now. Um, so I, I've stopped creating situations in my mind that would never come to fruition. So certainly once this came on, I'm glad that I had the the equipment to deal with this at a, you know, much better than some other people. But um, what's so strange about it too, it, it kind of reading your subjective and objective universe, you know, this rewrites the contract between the subjective and the objective universe. And it rewrites the contract and puts addendums on it almost constantly because, you know, the whole point of the subjective universe is that the objective universe is somewhat stable in a lot of really basic things. Like, you know, once the timestamp is on history, that's done where it's over. That timestamp has to be removed now and it can change. So your subjective universe immediately has to become more dynamic and it becomes more um, 
it has to be more agile in in its exploration so i don't know if that adds or takes away from it uh you know being an me i'm not entirely sure um but i certainly know and that's just it it just piles on more uncertainty but i know that from us making those changes and those concentrations i know that you know it was definitely a change in our subjective universe and then what happened with me with with my experiences it was a certainly a change in my subjective universe that what would be interesting would be for other people to come afterwards and seeing that those things changed as well and then they came into me and they knew that that was so strange they found out about Andy Warhol but knew nothing about us but found that out thought it was very odd then found out about us a year later or something then that would somewhat prove that we changed the objective universe by us being sincere and us concentrating on that and thinking about it but i don't yeah. know we'll never we'll never really know that actually and i guess that adds to the mystery of this whole thing and ultimately i don't know if i want to do that you know uh, absolutely I, yeah, no, it's absolutely. It's it's okay to not know everything. You know? Yeah, I certainly don't. Yeah, you have to, but I mean, to be comfortable, to be comfortable with not knowing everything, and to also, um, as you as you said, agility, the ability yeah. to like move with 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 reality. And to readjust to the changes in the universe. I mean, you can talk about this on a cosmic level, but you can talk about that just on a very practical level. Um, mm. Your ability to uh, to uh, deal with change, your ability to integrate changes into your situation, um, is 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 a very good trait. It's definitely something that helps you going forward. Yeah. And one of the uh, when I first got into the Mandela effect, I had a uh, a video go you know semi viral. It was my second video, and um, I did the We Died in Twenty Twelve series. And um, what I was exploring in that was um, the idea of you know what is the afterlife? You know what is life, and what is the afterlife? And you know life is very precious, and it's a very short, finite period of time, and. You know, it's full of myths and wonders and people kill for it, people die for it, people do all kinds of crazy things to extend it. And yet most of life is we're either asleep or we're like standing in line or sitting at a red light somewhere. Or we're, we're doing something we actually don't want to do. And that's what makes life those highlights when we're actually doing something that we want to do even more important. But most of life is is kind of dull, kind of. I mean, even when you're enjoying yourself at that red light, you're still sitting at a red light with ten cars in front of you and ten cars behind you, yeah. and some of them might be honking. And um, I started to think about what if we, when we cross over into the afterlife, what if it's just like this life, or what if it had already happened and we don't even know it? And the source of the Mandela effect is kind of. What happens in the afterlife is this undoing of time as you get deeper into your own personal afterlife. You know, and I started to I started to do a series on that, but I guess it got too intense for some people and I, I, I ended up backing off from it. And I have it in my playlist, but I ended up um, backing off from it. And all it was was me taking a bunch of different interesting ideas and cobbling them together. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, it's like um, there's a movie Jacob's Ladder. Where he he oh sort of is, yeah he's dead and he doesn't know it. No, that that movie blew me away. 
So, yes. so, so there's a bunch of things you're talking about now that I, that, 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 that I want to respond to. One of them, I, so I had to back up. You talked about, um, you had a near death experience in a car wreck, right? Well, 17. You're 17. So I had an experience that this is about, um, 2005 or four, five, three, 2003, maybe. Actually, you know what? No, it's not. It's like 2000. See, I can't even like place it right now. It's just so bizarre and timeless. So it was, it was when um, I was with my uh, band that I used to be in, or still am in, Asmodeus X, um, but at, at a time when we were like touring and stuff, like more, you know, trying to do it at a professional level. And we were in a van um, and we were driving back from California and the van broke down. And so we rented a uh, Penske truck to drive all the way, to drive the way back. Cause the van belonged to another guy and the guy who was like, you know, down in, in, in Houston. He said, yeah, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll take care of the van. You guys just get yourself home. So anyhow, we got this Penske truck. And so we were driving in it, like two guys were sitting up front and then three of us were sitting in the back of the truck with like all the gear there, which is highly illegal, extremely dangerous, a really stupid thing to do. No one should ever do this. But anyhow, we're like sleeping at night, you know, in the back and someone's driving and the guy who was driving, um, basically he swerved, you know, we're in, um, uh, West Texas in the middle of nowhere in the scrublands, and he swerved to hit a deer to avoid hitting a deer and ended up rolling the truck. And, uh. and you know, I like woke up from being asleep while, you know, uh, you know, I woke up in flight basically. Um, and you know, all of our gear, like the top of the vehicle blew out and all our gear was strewn down the highway and we all like collect ourselves, you know, get away from the vehicle. And we all like got together and you know what? We were all fine, a little bit bruised. And, you know, so we've recuperated from it. We got back home and everything. But the significant thing here is the conversations that we started having after that. One of the things that we talked about was like most certainly someone should be dead from that. There's no reason why any of us, you know, just walked away from this. And so that led to the discussion of, well, maybe, maybe we did die and we just haven't yeah. realized it yet. And yeah. <laughs> so then one of those guys, one of the guys from that, who is a good friend of mine, uh, Gary Lessiker, he is dead now. He did pass away like some years later. He was never the same after it and just kind of went on this, um, you know, kind of went downhill uh, from a variety of things. And, and so he's no longer with us and none of the other people I, I talk to at all anymore, but I still, but I'm like, sometimes I'm like, you know, you know, laying, you know, the wee hours of the morning, I'll lay there and I'll start thinking about that moment when all that happened. And I just cringe and a shudder goes through me that like, there's no reason I, I should be here. And I wonder, am I really not here? You know? So, well, you, you know, the thing, the thing about it is one of the hallmarks of the Mandela effect is almost every single, almost to the ME, like the hardcore ones, uh, they have um, an experience like what you just described, just so you know. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, almost to the person. It's exactly what you just described. Some some incident, oftentimes it's a, a car crash. And um, almost to the person, they describe something like what you just described, and it haunts them to this day. And um, yeah, there's a real connection with that. 
And just the fact that you're talking with me, and I've been in this now for, you know, since late 2016, you know, there's that link there. And um, I've, I've, I am so beyond um, believing in coincidences. Um, I, I think, you know, I live in synchrony, uh, synchronicities now. Um, everything is synchronous. There's, there's no happenstance. There's no, every, everything now has a reason. Um, even as, and, and, and what's so remarkable for me is even as things dissolve, I'm finding more symmetry in this world as it seems to unravel. And that is the great paradox that I live in. And, um, sometimes I think that's part of the coping mechanism of if you did pass on and something I talked about in my 2012 series is that the trauma, uh, of, of coming to grips with the fact that you have moved on might be so great to bear. You know, there's still parts of my accident. I don't actually remember you know, to this day. And this is decades ago, and I still haven't come to grips with some of those moments. And I had entire conversations with people as they were putting me before the operation and after the operation um, that I don't remember to this day. And um, there's something, you know, very strange about waves of people coming into the Mandela effect and them not being able to handle something or, or something spooks them. And, you know, Maybe this is a way station of some sort before we move on to something else. And um, there's a lot of questions I brought up in that series. And um, definitely, your series is sounds very your series. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Your your episode it sounds very very familiar to me. It rang true a lot of the things right down to you being haunted to this day about uh, about it. Yeah, very 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 interesting. Well, you know, you mentioned your experience, and so I guess I immediately I thought, oh, wow, I had an experience like that, too. And so I had to um, put that out there. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and another thing that I keep thinking of is um, the daemon, the idea of the daemon. Are you familiar with the, the Greek concept of the daemon? I'm getting more and more familiar with it, yes, actually, since reading your stuff, I am. So, you know, this used to be, this idea about the daemon, this used to be like kind of the predominant belief system, you know, represent the predominant idea about, um, about the self and immortality and, and, and all of these things. But it's not around at all anymore, obviously. It's not a very popular idea anymore. But, I mean, all of the Greeks talk about it. So Socrates, when he drank the hemlock, he said that um, the reason he did that was because you know, he was offered the whole thing with Socrates, uh, you know, the, the citizens of Athens, the democracy of Athens thought that he was corrupting the youth with his ideas. And so they gave him, a, you know, you got a choice. You can be expelled and just, you know, you have to leave Athens or you could drink the hemlock. And he said that his daemon told him to drink the hemlock, that that was the more uh, virtuous and the more rational thing for him to do beyond the immediate situation of everything. And the idea with the daemon is that, you know, and, and ultimately it goes back to Zoroastrian ideas of, of what the soul is like. And basically the idea that your soul begins before you come to Earth, before you come here to this, this planet, and then you make a decision to come here. And so part of yourself, part of your soul kind of like separates from that and comes and lives in this timeline, in this world, in three-dimensional space. And you fight evil, you fight against 
unconsciousness, you fight against negativity, you fight for the good, and then when you die, you are kind of reunited with that. But that aspect of yourself that you're separated from is really your higher self. You know, Plato would say, you know, talking about his world of the forms, well, when you're connecting with the world of the forms, you're connecting with your higher consciousness, you're connecting with your demonic consciousness. And that part of yourself, that part of your consciousness is actually free of time. You know, it's like extends infinitely into the past and the future. Whereas yourself here, you know, we're kind of stuck with three-dimensional time. We do a linear existence. You know, we're born and eventually we're going to die. And we're, these two facts, you know, uh, affect everything we do. The knowledge of that affects everything that we do. But this higher aspect of yourself, which is beyond that, is like kind of beyond time. And so sometimes you have moments where you interact with that self or that self interacts with you. Like you get notes from your future. And so that's like one theory too about how we um, transcend times because, well, we have a part of ourselves that is outside of it that we can still connect with and that is, you know, kind of beyond the linear time. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. That, uh, that would help explain a lot of things. Um, and that certainly would be something to explore in terms of those synchronicities. Um, and, and just having a higher self kind of guiding you through because there's moments where I have peaks and valleys of those synchronicities, particularly with time, um, like clock, I'll tweet out those, like, you know, if I notice it's 1111 or 555 or 333. And the reason why I do that is to kind of keep a journal for myself of, when these peaks and valleys sort of happen. And then I also try to scribble down whenever I can, those ideas that come after that, or go back and find out from chick and the rest of the crew, if we've indeed had a, a spike in the Schumann resonance to see if we uh, indeed are, are, do we have a shift underway? And um, what's so interesting, I can't wait to find out tomorrow because I, I, I had heard that, uh, something I, I'm not into astrology, um, meaning I, I I don't discount it. I just I don't understand it, and I haven't studied it enough. But I heard that Mercury has just left retrograde, and that um, things should be um, you know less stormy. Um, and this is obviously if someone is I apologize if you know, and I just butchered everything you believe, and I just want to apologize. It's just something I'm trying to I'm trying to put a lot of pieces to a lot of disparate things together to try to make sense of something that makes no sense. And um, it, I, I'm wondering if if that will coincide with with maybe um, the Schumann resonance not spiking as much because certainly this comes off as something that that could be potentially disruptive. Um, but it's certainly something that's, that, that changes your life. And oftentimes that change in rapid succession can be a bit much for most people. So, um, I can't wait to find out tomorrow if we had a spike this weekend in the, in the Schumann resonance. So, but that could also be your higher self, your timeless self trying to reach down and talk to you during those moments that I get of either inspiration or moments that I get of synchronicities. Um, and there's just so much out there that's so hard to explain where I'll think of something or I'll talk about something or write something down and then I'll hear something about it in the news or I'll see someone else talking about it or somehow it'll be, it'll change. It'll be a, a new ME. So perhaps it has something to do with, um, you know, be, having a daemon and a higher self and I'm, I'm just getting in contact with that now or, or understanding that that 
kind of concept even exists now. Well, you know what? I feel like they're all just models. You know, it's like I work with the the model of the Damon. I like that model a lot. I've, I've used that a lot. Uh, uh, it resonates with me. Straw. It seems to explain a lot of things. But I'm always aware that this is just a model. I mean, the reality of the the situation has to be way, way more than that. Because I mean, if you decide, you know, Alistair Crowley like said that the fixed idea is insanity at one point. He said, that's mm-hmm. like the only bad thing is the fixed idea. Um, and, and, you know, you no sooner decide, settle down on one model of reality, then some shit happens that blows it all away. You know? Yeah. That's just, yeah. <laughs> yes. So this, this goes back to like what you were saying about um, flexibility, agility, right? The yeah. Ability, ability to, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch out models. I'm going to try a different model now and see if that like works better for reality. Because we're going at something that's just ultimately unknowable and you know we just need a we need a good map for it right the map and yeah robert anton wilson said the map is not the territory remember that you got to get a map but remember it's not the same thing as the territory the territory can be different once you get there yeah i like that and you know oftentimes i talk about science and i give it a lot of i give it a hard time and i think the point that a lot of people may miss a it is. It's not that I'm I'm anti-science or or you know something like that. That I'm some kind of luddite or something. It's just that I I I don't like the idea of like what you're just talking about of this fixed notion that it's settled. We can put it to bed and that's it. And that's the it's sort of the same central sin, the the original sin that science keeps committing. That it's well that's settled science. Well, nothing is settled ever at all. You know, you know, and, and, and everyone on my Twitter feed kind of made fun of, you know, scientists now say coconut oil is the most deadly oil for you and it'll take you out. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, well, eggs have been good and bad for me, according to science, three or four times in my life. So, <laughs> so science, the idea of it and what it offers is really great. I think it needs to get over the notion of it being settled and that, you know, the smugness of, well, you know that's settled science, and 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 the the hijacking of people who are science sort of raiders, you know they get the smugness about them that well because I've I've read in a textbook that you know I'm I'm hijacking someone else's life work, but in for the particulars of this conversation I'm going to use it to further my own, you know argument or whatever is is generally what science is kind of used for nowadays other than you know advancing technology. And it's it's more of a political and an ideological thing now than anything. There's no, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of integrity in the pursuit of it. Whenever it's mostly owned by, you know, private or non-government organizations that are trying to advance a new drug or whatever it may be, and can alter the science in order to get that drug out or whatever it may be. And you know, if people go and they, I'm saying this that if someone goes and listens to my show, that that's my beef with science. I love science. I love the idea of it. I just don't like the idea of contemporary science saying something is settled when we all know in 10 to 15 years, coconut oil is going to be the wonder drug that fixes everything. We just know it. Yeah. We just know it is right. It just, yeah. it you just know it is. Yeah. Just like whenever scientists they were pro tobacco, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, absolutely. And I think there's this, it's, it's, you know, there's this growing kind of awareness and maybe this is like, you know, maybe this has to do with the, the Schumann, the Schumann meter. Um, there's a growing sort of consensus that, um, 
that all of the so-called experts about reality are just wrong, and that no one really has has um, the truth. You know, science doesn't have the truth, religion doesn't have the truth, the government doesn't have the truth, the media doesn't have the truth. There's no one that can be believed anymore, and 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 people are are, are you know realizing that they have to get back to direct communication with other individuals and other human beings to really get a grasp on reality. Because if you don't, you're just getting, you're just going to get pulled along into this big, you know, vapid storm of, yeah. of, uh, of, 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 of other people's goals, of power interest goals, you know? Absolutely. I, I agree. I agree. It's, it's something going around and it's part of that dissolving consensus that we're all talking about right now, man. I, I really do. I think it's, it's it's very strange, and I think it's all connected. And I think um, I think the Mandela effect is is everywhere, and a lot of people just aren't conscious to it yet. And and it, maybe they will be, maybe they won't. I'm not entirely sure. Well, SMQ man, I've been I've, I've loved speaking with you, and I love your uh, shows. I love your podcast. Um, the more I listen to it, the more I, I get pulled into the different ideas that you've talked about. Going back, I continually find more things that I resonate with in it, and that are illuminating for me. Uh, would you like to tell everyone how they get the best way they can find out more about you and what you do? Yeah. Um, uh, the best way to get to my shows is on YouTube and you can look up SMQ space AI or you can look up SMQ Mandela effect and that'll take you to my channel. Um, and then also too, if you want to, uh, also follow me and in my Twitter feed, this is the easiest way to get a hold of me in terms of if you actually want to talk to me, I'm at AI underscore SMQ and, um, that's my Twitter handle and that's where I sort of hang out. And that's where I kind of run with a crew or whatever of other Emmys and stuff like that. Um, it's where I, I talk with you frequently. Um, and that's the best place. But, you know, I certainly do the best I can with the comments section. The problem is YouTube. It kind of – you have to go to, to the actual your – actual, your actual laptop. And I live on my phone in order to, to reply to comments the way uh, – whenever they, they categorize them as inappropriate or whatever. So um, I don't always – get to those comments in a timely manner, or sometimes I don't see them apparently. So uh, Twitter's the best place to actually get me. But yeah, I appreciate everything. All right, brother. Yeah, everyone check out SMQ. There's something going down, and he's got his finger on the pulse. So take care, my brother, and we will talk to you again soon. All right, man. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, uh, Paul.